The Bible is a place that people go to for answers. If you have questions about God, or about creation, or salvation, or about dating, or how to run a business, people say, go to the Bible for your answers. I remember when I grew up, I had a Bible, I think it was called the, the Jesus Adventure Bible, I think is what it was called. I had an index in the back with uh, different questions young men and women might ask. And then they had verses, lists of verses to go to to find your answers. And that was, for me, that was really helpful at the time. And now with the internet, with the web, we've got all kinds of Bible answers, right? Answers in Genesis, BibleAnswer.com, and 84, other, 84 million other results on Google. Um, gotquestions.org, which I found a few days ago, uh, claims to have helped answer 656,222 Bible questions. <laughs> Certainly the scriptures are worthwhile to search when we have questions. But have you ever noticed that the Bible has many questions for us as well? It's a dynamic book. It gives us answers, but it also forces, it asks us questions and forces us to look inwards. In fact, Jesus himself asks over 300 questions, I'm told. I, have, I didn't count. Take the Gospel of Mark, which is what we'll be preaching on today or reading through. Mark must have been a master of questions. I think right away of Mark 8, right in the middle of his book, you might be reading right along trying to figure out who Jesus is when all of a sudden Mark, well, Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? That's Jesus' questions to the disciples, but it's also a question for us. Who is Jesus or who is Jesus to me? It's sort of a dialogue that happens with us in Scripture, and that's how we encounter Jesus. We and the Scriptures ask each other questions, and then we give answers. Our passage in Mark 5 has one of those deep searching questions in it. By verse 35, Jesus is on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, but he's been delayed by the crowds. In the meantime, Jairus' daughter dies. Messengers are sent to let Jairus know. When they meet Jairus, they say, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? That's, that's the question. Why bother with this teacher anymore? That's their question for Jairus. It's also Mark's question for us, I think. Why should we bother Jesus or why should we bother with Jesus? Why pray in his name? Why believe in him? Why have faith? What's the point? Why bother the teacher anymore? The question makes a lot of sense given to Jairus because he had high hopes at first that Jesus would heal his daughter. She was inching closer and closer to death, but while someone's still alive, while his daughter is still living, things can be done, right? This is a time of action. He can pray prayers, can schedule surgeries, call doctors. But now that his daughter is dead, what's done is done. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's no secret, I know, that many members of Redeemer, many of us, have lost loved ones in the past year or so. And especially parents. I know that many of you have lost parents in the last two years, perhaps. There's a lot of other losses that have come, of course, lost relationships, lost health, both mental and physical, and that in some cases we're hoping those things will turn around and we're praying earnestly. But sometimes that time of action and recovery passes and then we just feel lost. 
It's times at that, like that, when we, I think that question hits hard. Why bother with Jesus? Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, our passage in Mark 5 gives us simple, I think a simple answer to that question. Or two answers, perhaps. We bother with Jesus because he is God and because he cares for us. That's my message for us today. Jesus is God and Jesus cares for us. First, let's see how our passage shows that Jesus is God. This, I think we can see best if we look at our passage in context, if we read the whole series that our passage is part of. Okay, and I'm not going to read the whole thing for you, but we can summarize. It starts back in Mark 4. Okay, Jesus, at this point, is teaching. He's making a name for himself. He uses parables and such. And then after a long session of teaching, he gets in a boat and he crosses the Sea of Galilee. But... On the way, a storm catches them, and they grow worried that they'll capsize and drown. I think this is the passage we read last week, actually. So they wake up Jesus, who's fast asleep, and they say, you know, we're going to die. Can you do something? And Jesus gets up, addresses the storm, and says, quiet, be still. The wind waves dies down, the waves are calm, and the disciples are amazed. They say to one another, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. So there's there's another question, right? Who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? It's no ordinary teacher that we have here. We encounter Jesus in a new way when we read that passage. He's someone who can command even creation. So we have to wrestle with this question. Who is Jesus that even the wind and waves obey him? Then next, Mark, the beginning of Mark 5, the next passage is just as intense. Here along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and the disciples encounter a man possessed not just with one measly little spirit, but with legion. It suggests some really powerful spirit, right? Um, A legion at that time in the Roman army could have over 5,000 soldiers in it. So it's no wonder that when Mark 5 talks about this man, his case seems pretty hopeless. He has great strength. Um, No one can help him. So we have our encounter set, right? Jesus and Legion. But the climax is, well, it's really anticlimactic. It's almost comical. The man sees Jesus coming. He falls at his feet and and the demon cries out, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. And they beg him to deal mercifully with them. At Jesus' command, the spirits leave. The man's in his right mind. So no battle, no struggle. It's just, just submission to the Son of the Most High God. So the text may as well read, the disciples may have said, who is this? Even powerful spirits obey him. So creation obeys, spirits submit, and now in our passage we will see that even sickness and death flee from him. So you can see how Mark is carefully choosing these stories, showing us, um, really challenging us with this question, who is this that the wind and waves obey, that spirits submit, um, and now even that death flees. So let's, let's recount our passage again, right? So Jairus' daughter is sick. Jairus knows of Jesus, probably has heard that Jesus heals sick people. I mean, Jairus is a leading member of the Jewish community. He's over the synagogue. So he's probably actually heard Jesus teach in that synagogue before. He's got a sick daughter now. And what would a father with means like Jairus not do for his daughter? He knows she's dying. 
If only Jesus would lay his hands on her, he could turn the sickness around. At least that's what, that's what Jairus believes. So they set out together, but the going is slow. Crowds have gathered to see Jesus. They want to hear him teach or see him perform some sort of miracle, or maybe they just want to catch a glimpse of him. All the while, Jairus knows that his daughter doesn't have much time, and yet Jesus is stopping to talk to this person or that person. This is Jairus' time of action, right? When prayers are prayed, when we come to Jesus with our requests, we look for the doctor's help. I remember going through that time with my own mother. In 2011, my mother was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. At that time, I was a senior in high school. I guess that reveals my age. Uh, she, wasn't, she wasn't yet 50. Uh, the news came as a bit of a shock to our family. What followed were, were, well, was, was action, right? Chemotherapy, drugs, changes in diet, uh, lots and lots of prayer. At times, mom had great hope that she would, be, she would be healed. But even when the cancer responded to chemotherapy, it came back even more powerfully than before. And then she passed away in September 2012. It'll be nine years this September. And Jairus eventually got that same news, right? Between him leaving the house to find Jesus and then the delays Jesus had with the crowd, uh, his daughter died. So messengers come to him. They say, your daughter is dead. Why bother with the teacher anymore? What's left for this Jesus, right, this teacher to do for you? But there could be something a little off about the question that they're asking Jesus. They call him teacher, and certainly Jesus was a teacher, maybe the best there ever was. But there might be some misunderstanding there. It sounds a bit like the questions that will come in the next passage, Mark 6, where Jesus' neighbors say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? They're saying, what can this, this man, this teacher do? Jesus is a teacher, but he's not just a teacher. As Mark 1.1 tells us, the gospel is about the good news, about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, of whom the prophets, the Old Testament prophets write. Even the demons use a slightly more appropriate title, right? They call him Son of the Most High God. Jesus must be divine. Mark's gospel and the stories we have about him make sense no other way. Who else could command the wind and waves or command spirits? It can't be just a teacher. This must be someone more. Through the centuries, many of have, you know, there's always some who are denying the divinity of Jesus or at least downplaying it. I'm wondering if you guys have ever heard of the Jefferson Bible. Thomas, maybe have you? Okay. Thomas Jefferson privately slimmed down our, our four gospels into an 84-page summary of Jesus's life and teachings. It's a, little, it's a book a little bit easier on the enlightened mind, right? There's no miracles um, or at least not many. Uh, some, many are removed, right? Our, our passage in Mark 5 isn't, isn't in his book. In fact, Jesus is buried, but he doesn't ride from the dead in, Mark's, er, in Jefferson's book. The Gospels land a bit different without these miracles, without healings or forgiveness of sins or resurrection. 
One person wrote it, writing on it online said that it's like a series of jokes without a punchline, right? John 9, in John 9, Jesus heals a blind man. This is how Jefferson tells the story. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. The end. There is no healing. There are no works of God made manifest. Uh, So you see, the miracles that happen in the Gospels, they're not just um, added. They're not accretions on otherwise valuable teaching. Okay, When Jesus works, as well as in his words, both show us who he is, that he is the Son of God in flesh, God with his people. Did Jairus know all of this? Could he have formulated that? Certainly, hope for a healing at this point had run out when he finds out his, da- his daughter's dead. So why does he continue with Jesus? It seems that he puts his faith in the person of Jesus, whatever the circumstances. He continues to bother Jesus. They continue first to Jairus' home and then to the room where his daughter lay. I imagine that Jairus entered the room with that question ringing in his head, right, that they had asked him, why bother with this teacher anymore? I imagine that he left the room thinking to himself, who is this that even death flees before him? Jairus had witnessed the resurrection. The message of chapters four and five, to me, I think are very clear. It's that Mark is showing us just how powerful Jesus really is, showing that he is the son of God. Only he is the master of creation and spiritual powers and the defeater of death. But that, that for me, in the past, in trying to study this passage, has made the, the healing of the bleeding woman, uh, I had to figure out how it fits. We'll say it that way. Almost a problem in trying to figure out why did Mark include it here? So I think Mark is, is working hard to show that Jesus is God. But why this healing, which isn't quite the caliber of, right, he's not stilling a storm or resurrecting from the dead. The only reason I can think of, besides showing why Jesus got held up, is that Mark is showing that Jesus cares, that he cares for people. Or like that Amanda said, that he cares for bodies, even our bodies. It's that simple. The interruption shows us that Jesus cares. So let's, let's think about that part of the story now. Jesus, who we know to be the Son of God, is proving the extent of his power from scene to scene. He casts out legion. He, you know, calms the sea. Um, now he meets up with Jairus. Jairus is a, is a big-name individual, like we said, right? He's managing the local synagogue. Um, at, at the very least, his name survived. Many people from 2,000 years ago, we don't know their names, but this person's name survived, Jairus. The woman who gets healed on the other hand, is a no-name sort of person. She's no reputation, at least no good reputation in Galilee, probably. Right? Her condition likely made her unmarriable. Whatever money or wealth she did have, it's, the story tells us she spent it on treatments. Worse yet, her bleeding made her religiously unclean. Okay? If she, she had no, she could not access places of worship like other people. Anyone who interacted with her, who touched her, would themselves be unclean and would need to purify themselves. It's a bit like, you might think, a COVID exposure. Anyone who touches her has to put their life on hold. She was making a bold move. 
maybe a move of faith to push into the crowd and touch Jesus. It's something unique happens when she touches Jesus. Her impurity doesn't transfer to Jesus. Instead, his wholeness is given to her. It's as though Jesus' holiness is so great that it reverses whatever was wrong with her. Jesus has granted her healing. He has made her whole. But I think that he cares even more and that he stops to speak with her. He grants her a moment with himself, person to person. She's intimidated. She falls at his feet. He gives her a name far greater than Jairus' name. Jesus gives her a name that he gives no other person in our Gospels. When he speaks to her, he calls her daughter. And then he sends her on her way, freed from suffering. That's a, it's an intimate, tender moment in the middle of a, of a grand story. Jesus' divinity is on full display. This shows that he cares. He cares for people. These two simple truths, that Jesus is the Son of God and that he cares, those are the core of our hope as Christians. If Jesus weren't God, if he were just a teacher, in a gospel like that, the blind do not see, the lame do not walk, the sick are not healed, our sins aren't forgiven, the dead are not raised. But it's almost not enough for us to know that Jesus is able, that he can heal. Our hope in Jesus is sure because we know that he cares for us. It's these two reasons together. That's why we put our trust in him. So why bother with prayer? Why bother with faith in Jesus? Because he is God and because he cares for us. That's my main message. I want to spend just a little bit of time here at the end, just a few minutes to consider healing, hope, and resurrection. <laughs> just, just a few minutes on those big topics. First, healing. Start with the obvious. In Mark's narrative, people are healed. Okay? You'll notice that Mark links closely the woman's faith and Jairus' faith with the healing that he does. It's Christian truth that when Jesus, when we come to Jesus in faith, he does sometimes heal us from our physical and mental infirmities. It's good and right for us to pray for each other and to pray to God when we're sick. But I do want to make a careful distinction between having faith in healing and having faith in Jesus. When we're sick with cold or cancer or COVID or depression, our faith is not that Jesus will deliver us from sickness in this life. Our faith is in Jesus, that he's able to cure us, and that he cares for us. Seeking healing is not tight-fisted. It's not grasping. Rather, we have to approach the healer with open arms. We seek healing um, from one who cares for us. We know from the scriptures that Jesus can and does heal, and I believe that he does even now heal us. But we know that sometimes, from the scriptures, we know that sometimes there isn't healing. Think of Paul, for instance, lived with an infirmity left unhealed by Jesus all his life. While healing is possible, I guess next, I believe that Jesus does heal us, yes, but that it is not our ultimate hope. Physical, mental healing in this life is not our ultimate hope. It can't be our ultimate hope. Okay, I mean, if you think about Jairus' daughter or the woman healed of her bleeding, where are they now? They're dead, right? They've probably been dead for a while. They were granted years of good life, I would hope, and health by the healing hand of Jesus, but they too eventually died one way or another. 
I think again of my own mother. Okay, nine years ago, my earnest prayer was that God would heal her, that, she would, that he would grant her many more years on earth. Eventually, she passed on a Thursday. If God had seen it fit to raise her on Friday or Saturday or Sunday, we would have gladly received her back. But it's been eight years since she was buried. At this point, my hope for mom is not that I would have more time with her in this life. It's not that she would be able to be a grandma to Evie, as wonderful as that would have been. Rather, my hope is in resurrection to eternal life. My hope is that one day mom and I will receive new life from the one who is resurrection and life. That, that's the Christian hope, right? That Jesus would grant us new life in the new heavens and new earth. And I felt it was important to add these thoughts to the first because I believe this is where the scriptures are pointing us. Jesus didn't raise Jairus' daughter just for her sake, just to extend her time on earth a little bit longer. Rather, I think he does so to demonstrate that he has power to overcome death and to give life. The raising of Jairus' daughter, the healing of this woman also, they're like a pledge Jesus is making to us. And this, this is the pledge. I am the resurrection and the life. The one in, who believes in me, even though they die, and whoever, oh, sorry. The one in who believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.